This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Great day. It's been raining. I love it. This week, I am joined by Norm Black. Now, Norm is the founder and CEO, along with another bloke, of an online travel company called Tripadeal, with an A in the middle, Tripadeal. Tripadeal started in 2011, organising travel deals for villas in Bali, and has since expanded to organising tours and trips right around the world. He's doing your bucket list stuff. I'm keen to talk about how the business has grown to more than 100 staff in the last seven years, started off, by the way, as two blokes, and how the Tripadeal business model works when taking on a big industry like the travel sector. He also runs his business, by the way, from Byron Bay. Completely, everything is happening in Byron Bay, and he works out of the industrial state there. That is like, to me, that is bucket list stuff. That's a dream. And I'm interested to know how he finds working in that environment, affects his lifestyle, and how he can employ staff, and just generally how it works. How good is it? So let's get into it. Norm Black, welcome to The Mentor. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. All the way down from Byron Bay, mate. Yeah, all the way down. Yeah. Come, come down to the big smoke. Did you come down last night? Yes, I did, mate. Yeah, come so down yesterday afternoon. Your, your, your business, Tripadeal, um, is situated in the industrial stadium, Byron Bay. I just should have explained to people listening that not everybody understands the Byron Bay setup, but there's an area called the industrial state. Um, it's sort of like... Uh, where they plonked all the businesses many years ago, and uh, they so that they didn't overcrowd the town, they put them outside of the town, which, by the way, the town's now expanded, so they basically join up to each other. But the industrial estate's not just industry, but it's all sorts of businesses, tech. And you were saying earlier that the industrial estate's now becoming a bit of a, I mean, Silicon Valley's probably a, a little bit of a stretch, but um, it's some becoming a hub for all new all new styles of business, and all sorts of people are starting to go there. Yeah, look for sure. There's a uh... There's a real move on in Byron for these uh, people who, you know, once were located in the cities and the likes who've went and thought, well, why not have the great lifestyle and, and run my business? And certainly these online businesses or tech-based businesses can do that out of Byron. So that's what's happened. The industrial state has grown. I mean, there was a time there, you know, not only sort of three years ago, you couldn't even get uh, enough internet access in the industrial state because it was never designed for that uh, reason. And, uh, but these days, yeah, it's there's a there's a shake up, and we can actually get internet, believe it or not. And uh, there's a whole new generation of uh, entrepreneurs that have moved into Byron to have a have a lifestyle and uh, and develop their business and hopefully have a success. Yeah, we had James from Jack Moody down here. Um, he, he's I think he operates out of the industrial. Zone. I'm not sure where he operates out of. Yeah, no, James is uh, James is still. I think he's still in town at the moment. Just in town, he works sort of upstairs in town there. Because my, my, my Yellow Brick Road business, we use James for sort of digital media stuff. Um, and uh, I was delighted to find out that he was operating out of Byron Bay. It, it, it's the industrial state's sort of quite an interesting concept for me. And uh, as you said, like I remember, you know, because I've got a property up there, and I remember years ago, like a long time ago, the industrial state was basically made up of um, auto mechanics like Simmer and. Uh, a few clothes designers and a few hemp designers, yes. um, maybe one or two <laughs> furniture joints that uh, yep. were like wholesaler type deal, a couple of surfboard guys, girls, um, and a few like Santos and a few unusual, what was unusual in those days, food type deals yeah, and, no. and a couple of building material joints. Yeah. Well, the good news is they're still all there, Yeah, yeah, yeah plus they, a few, but yeah, yeah. uh Set in amongst them these days, there's a few other people doing some uh, interesting things as well. So yeah, no, it's cool. It's yeah. cool, and it, it's it's 
probably, you know, for those people who don't know, this industrial stage is sort of just about, I don't know, maybe 500 metres from the beach. It's a, well, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that, but it's sort of pretty good territory if you like surfing. You could actually get your board, go to work, go down the, climb over, go down there to the river, to the Belongel, have a surf if you're game enough to go and surf around there because there's a lot of sharks. Yeah, there's there. one or two sharks floating around yeah, that yeah. part of the world, but... Yeah. Uh, that's if the uh, if the if the, you don't get struck by a nudist at some point. Yeah, because the nudist flash are down there as well. Yeah. 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 So trip trip How many people you got now? Uh, we've got 106 now. 106 all yeah. there. All there. All under all under that one roof. Um, sort of you know from very humble beginnings from over the other side of the industrial state where an area that you were familiar with that we sort of uh, you know I always likened it to a rabbit warren is how it all began. We started one tiny room. Um, you know, as myself in in there and my, my partner in the business, Richard, was in Bali in his laundry. So, how many years ago is that? That's uh, just coming up eight years ago now. So, eight so. years ago, Norm Black sort of said to somebody, who? Yeah, Richard Johnston. Richard, yeah. right, mate, why don't we start a travel business, Tripodil? Let's start Tripodil. For a start, to our audience, explain what Tripodil is. Yeah, Tripodil is an, an online travel company that uh, basically makes, you know, bucket list. Uh, trips around the world obtainable to the masses and that's always been our our sort of goal from the beginning and still remains our goal is is taking all those key bucket list experiences that everyone's sort of grown up dreaming about doing and and actually making them available to the not to everyone what was know? it like where was the moment like you and Richard sat around like who 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 said it or did you both sort of run your piss one night and decide let's do it or yeah we were actually funny enough you connected the uh, on the piss with the concept um we were kicking it around after his wedding in Bali, actually. And um, we'd both, I'd, you know, I'd been in business for myself all my life. Never had a boss, been an entrepreneur. Were you a travel guy? No. No. No, no, no. I'd try anything, yeah. you know. If it's an idea, I'll have a crack. So, And Rich was the same, of the same concept. And uh, he'd, he'd been mucking around with a hotel in Bali. And um, we all know the challenges in trying to do business in Bali. But uh, it was a good place to have a business. And um, we sort of figured... You know, we'd been mates for a long time and sort of decided we'd done a, we maybe combined forces here. He was a great marketer. Uh, you know, I've always been sales and, and, and getting out amongst the people. So we combined forces here and uh, let's let's have, let's have roll the dice and do something together. Yeah, but yeah, yeah you make it sound easy. Um, <clears throat> tell me what happened. Like, I mean, you've sort of been at a wedding, you're sitting there in Bali, uh, did heat struck on the booze, um, you know, just reminiscing. And did, what, then what happened? You said, like, oh, I'm going back to Australia and I'm going to set us up. Were you in Byron then or was Yeah, he... it was, I was, well, I was in Byron. Yeah. Um, look, I, okay, let's break it back down. Yeah. So we knew at the time that whole group buying thing was going on. Right. Um, you mean like Groupon style? Groupon, stuff? you know, that whole phenomenon yeah, that hit Groupon, Scoopon, blah, blah. Sell 10,000 vouchers to a restaurant and the restaurant couldn't realise that they could never service them. Yeah. But, but the concept itself was good. Where they were taking distressed inventory, essentially, yep. that was the concept. Yep. So we we initially went into this thinking there's distressed inventory in Bali villas. We'd look around at that time, all the villas in Seminyak, none of them were full. Yeah. So that was a we saw that as an opportunity to go, hey, hey, let's get in here and start and see if we can shift some of this inventory out of Bali. Um, had a lot of connections in Bali, a lot of great Balinese mates from the old days, from a kid growing up and surfing over there with them, and that's where it sort of began essentially. Is going, you know, let's take some barley product and let's um let's sell it sell all their excess stuff for them at a so at a use your rate. excess supply of yep. rooms in barley yep. and you said let's go and bundle all this up yep and try and get a clip on the way through of selling all this excess supply for these poor bastards who can't sell it themselves exactly okay that, and, that's it in a nutshell and and, uh, and did you call Tripodil then yeah it was called Tripodil. um and then the whole concept when it originally started the Tripodil, is um We'd set up a, a concept where originally where you had to sell, you, you you see the deal, you tell ten of your mates. As soon as there's ten sold, it trips the deal and it works. Right. That was the original concept. Right. So over engineered, getting too carried away, pretty much like all these people <laughs> yeah, who start yeah. new ideas. You you over engineer them and and make them so sharp and exciting that no one else can understand them except you. So your mate Richard was he still in Bali or he was still in Bali. So Rich stayed in Bali right up until the fourth year. Right, so, and you and you 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 manned the ship down here. I manned the ship in Australia. How, yeah. how big was your premises in in uh, on top of? Uh, well, at that point, 
the premises was about uh, a room of about six by six metres. Six by six on yeah. top of Bull's. Uh, uh, across the road from Bullard, yeah. Yeah, where Bull's doing his uh, <laughs> paint. Building furniture. Sitting there yeah. sniffing all the acetylene or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Acetate uh, out of the furniture yeah. glue or whatever he used to. Yeah, just for those people listening, uh, we have a friend in common up there, a guy called Bull, who does whose brothers, two, uh, uh, brothers-in-law work for me at my farm, and Bull's a mad bush carpenter. He does great work. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think the uh, the glue and the paint that he was sniffing sent him yeah. a bit crazy. I think a few other things helped him along I the way so too. too. Yeah. yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's from Byron. Yeah. Uh, or Northern Rivers, I should say. Yeah. I broadened it out. Um, okay, so so you set up a six by six. So, I mean, you obviously said, oh, we've got to get a website or something because this is an online concept to start with. Yeah, look, we obviously we wanted we built the, the site around it. Who uh, built it? Uh, we got that built here. Um, In Sydney. In Sydney, yeah. and how did you find? I mean, like you know, you, well, originally, you're not a computer guy. So how did you no, find someone not, to do all not, that? Not at all. Um, Rich is more tech savvy than I am, and yep. I mean, initially we set out, we put it up, and we were getting it built. Wait for it, of all places, in Nepal. Okay, so you went to the free, freelancer or something? Yeah, like that? went to a freelancer. Yep, and we had the the nicest little guy you'd ever meet in the world. A and little he built something uh, shit a little fellow in Nepal. He built something that was totally dysfunctional. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> still, to this day, we're friends. Yeah, that's cool. So you yeah. so you, you, you put it out there. Did you actually go to freelancer.com? Yeah, we yeah. did. So yeah. you went on to, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Matt Barry. Uh, not Matt Barry. Yeah, Matt. Freelancer.com, yes. yes. Yeah. You went on to Matt Barry's thing and you uh, put it out there, put the brief up, selected someone from Nepal. Yeah. And Nepal dude built the uh, website for you. What? And uh, I guess you had to put some software because you had to transact. Exactly. So you had to put some um, transactional yeah. sort of capability worked. up there. It didn't work all that. Worked, worked out, out all that well. Worked out really good. Yeah. It worked out worked out really good fast. We worked out fast that the Nepalese are great for being Sherpas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very not bad. Good. Not good at tech. Okay. <laughs> so, so you just put yeah. a pencil. So you put a pencil through that. Yeah, and yeah. then what'd you do then? Look, we you bit the bullet and got it built in Sydney. Yep. And you went went which we should have done from day one. And uh, if there's a lesson in this for anyone, there is no shortcuts when you're trying to build anything. There's no cheap tech. way. Getting there's there. no cheap way. Or fast way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's certainly no fast way. Yeah, yeah. And whenever your developer tells you it'll be two months, add another four. And double the and price. And then double, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then that's just a start. Yeah, so be ready for pain. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so you build your website, and how many people, that was you, Look, that you was still just being rich. Rich. Right. rich. rich was publishing. I was getting the deals in. So you were finding the supply. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and how did you advertise it? Um, look, we were lucky enough in the early days there was aggregators. So we had the opportunities in that in that boom. Why don't you explain aggregators, Norm? Okay, so what what used to happen, or what still happens? There's still aggregators out there, but during that group buying boom, there's a couple of smart guys that moved in and said, you know what? I'll put up a site that takes all of these guys together, and uh, allows them to sit on my site, and I'll take all the traffic and clip the ticket, and then send it directly back to Groupon, Scoopon, exactly. you, whoever it is. Yeah. So we we sort of <clears> ran <throat> on a you know on a bit of a disguise of being a a buying site mm. to get in on these on these websites that had mass traffic, which gave us a, an, an opportunity to get sales. And so, uh, does that does that mean Norm that uh, they the aggregator? So, an aggregator is just a, an organisation who builds a platform um, who aggregates all the product that's being sold by either you, Triple Deal, or Scoopon, or Groupon, or whoever it is, uh, Catch of the Day, etc. Exactly. And then they put them all into one big site. And uh, and they run it, so it means you don't have to build the software. They attract all the all the traffic. Yep. And then they direct the traffic to wherever the traffic actually wants to go to. That's the consumer traffic. They send this consumer traffic to Triple Deal, and they clip the ticket. Exactly. And so, so they do the advertising for you. Yeah. Yep. So no no win no pay. <clears throat> so yep. variable costs. Good variable costs. Great way to kick off when you're running short on coin and you and you want to get into market. Okay, that's good. So you so you built your website. You know, shoestring budget, relatively speaking, I guess, compared to what you spent today. Um, just you and Richard, um, you found someone who you could push your business through. In other words, who'd do all your marketing for you or your online marketing. And then you, what, you just sat back and prayed that you had a good product. Well, we we knew we had a good product, but then it was the leap of faith. So I'm a little bit old school in my approach with the whole online business. And uh, and I, I think people sort of try to get, Probably get, try to get ahead of themselves a little bit in, in how they market their businesses these days. So we knew the product was good. We knew what we had was good. Product being your our, barley our, trips. Our, our, our trips, our barley trips, which fast evolved into 
we started building our own product, which was the next big step. Well, what is that product? End-to-end tours, transfers, flights, everything. And so for what aspiration of, of, of consumer? What's the consumer's aspiration that you're fulfilling? Oh, look, we try to we fulfill their end-to-end. From the moment they walk out of their door to the moment they walk back, they come back home two weeks later, we cover every single element of their travel. And a trip of a lifetime. A trip of a lifetime. Or a, a dream trip. Yeah, a bucket list. A bucket list. A bucket list. <clears throat> Actually, a bucket list. Like, yep. So, you know, yep. like Timbuktu or uh, top of Himalayas or whatever. Exactly. So we quickly worked out that just selling barley product in itself is pretty easy to duplicate. I mean, that's that's not that, uh, you know, hard to come, someone else to come into so the market. It's not unique. It's not unique. Mm. So our, our thoughts were, if we're going to position ourselves and survive here, um, you know, we're the small, small fish here. We need to evolve very quickly. We need to take on a, a task that is... Um, you know, a challenging task to build our own product, which was sort of blind optimism. We went out and said, we are going to build end-to-end travel, which we own, take all the middlemen out of it, remove all those extra layers that are in, which to date in that Australian travel market had been pretty much uninterrupted. It had its free reign for a long time. We'd, so you disintermediated, what they, exactly. call, they call disintermediated. Exactly. And, and if you look at most uh, travel that's sold out through in regular outlets in Australia, it's got two or three layers to it before it meets the consumer. The layers, I guess, are still there, but you just the consumer doesn't have to deal with them, is it? Well, we don't. We took them out. That's us. Right. So you right so you now do everything. we do everything. So you, so let's say the trip of my lifetime is to go to Tahiti. Yep. And uh, hang out at Bora Bora or something like that. Um, and ordinarily, if I went through a travel agency, there'd I mean, be a wholesaler involved. There'd be another secondary. So you do all that. We do all of that. <laughs> so, so you buy. Yep. You buy the. Um, the trip. You buy the hotel. You buy the airfares. You buy the lot. transfers. Yep, we run out. We run out. We contract our guides. We contract the drivers. When our our, our land based based tours around the the globe, you know whether that's in Sri Lanka, Vietnam, or China, Europe, that's all us. Right. So that, that essentially we've, you know, if you looked at it and you sat down and and looked back, you you know we'd probably scare ourselves with what we've actually achieved. Right. But it's just been one of those processes where it was an essential to go, you know what, the logistics are so huge, we always figured because it's such a huge logistical challenge, that's going to, we're going to hopefully get ahead of the pack and anyone who's looking to try and duplicate us or, you know, do the same thing, is it, it, it's going to be a challenge. How much, like, like people were saying, well, hang on, how much money did you throw into this? Like, how did you fund it? How did we fund it? Yeah. Look, the beauty of what we've done all the way through, we've never t- we've never needed funding because we take money up, we take the cost of the trip up front, we've built it layer by layer, we've never got ahead of ourselves, and um, it's continued to grow on its own uh, internal revenue. Maybe you need to explain it to our listeners. So, um, yeah, I guess you, one, you keep your overheads down. We don't, and we don't carry uh, we don't carry credit for anyone. Right. So, that's, so how, what's that mean? You'd... Well, we, we don't offer accounts. We don't offer, you know, it's all, you 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 want to travel with us, you pay. You pay straight away. You pay straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have a finance system in place for people who want to pay it off, but they we take that off our books. We don't carry debt. Right. And, um, you know, essentially we pay out we and get we get paid by our, by our customer and we pay our operators. And is it a slim margin business? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously when we took tours at, and, and trips that were previously, cons, cons, you know, $14,000 trips and turned them into $4,999 trips, there's still margin, but there was a hell of a lot of margin. I mean, if, if people knew what was going on in that sector, people were just absolutely gouging that that uh, that sector. Right, right. Because so like, I always thought it was like 11% return oh, or something. No, radical. Radical numbers were in there prior to us getting involved, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my brother owns a thing called Surf Travel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I always didn't think there was much margin in in this stuff. Yeah, well, that that sort of surf travel stuff, which I know from the early days when yeah. well, we when, rescued it when Paul King had it. In the, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was about it was in liquidation when yeah, my brother yeah. bought it. No, look, that was always a bit slimmer because you were they were running their own. You're running your own boats well, and he things. Was, he yeah. was actually making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Well, he had a few other things on the side. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. In your, he's there. Uh, yeah. Well, we won't go into that. Um. But yeah. But uh. But I no. I didn't think there was much uh, margin in it. No. Look. I mean, we we still keep the margins tight. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But it's still 
you know, there's still a still an urn in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but is that the sort of stuff you do? Like, you know, so they say some guys desperate to. I mean, like I know Joey Johns and those guys. They they all have their bucket list for uh, Freddie, etc. They'll have their bucket list for a surfing trip to I don't know Sumatra or wherever. Yeah, you know, go and surfing jump jump yeah. out or whatever like they want to go they is that the sort of stuff you're talking about yeah, or is look, it more mundane not mundane but is it less um is it more mum and pops type stuff now yeah look i mean there's no secrets that we have the big percentage of the baby boomer market in australia at the right. moment and i mean that's we're we're re- we took the baby boomer market our market that sort of had been forgotten about it wasn't the you know you'd go and, and see when most travel or holidays are marketed there's some uh you know young couple being on the beach at, you know, early thirties and well, they're the people that I'm sure they go on holidays, but they certainly tip the internet upside down to find the cheapest deal yeah, yeah. and go and do it themselves. So the, the baby boomer market, we went, we went and moved in there and went, you know what, we're going to make our baby boomers, our rock stars yeah. and, um, and give them some love. Baby boomers being, you know, 50 plus, 55 plus. 55 plus. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and where are you sending them to? Like, where? Oh, look, we send them everywhere. But, you know, the one thing where we send a lot of people, um, in the last, I think in the last five months, we've sent nearly 20,000 people to China. Right, really? And, and there's been a fascination with China. Serious? Certainly amongst oh, the baby yeah, the boomers. The wall and all The wall and all these things <clears> that we, you know, they, they grew up with that people were sort of fascinated and never, never got close to. And, uh, yeah, so we've sort of, our baby boomer market, um, you know, they, they, they grew up in an era where they had actually customer service, where they're actually treated yeah, yeah. as an individual. Well, mate, I'm, I'm one of them and yeah. they, they would actually go to a service station. People would pet, put the petrol in your, in your, and in wash your, your windscreen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> check your oil and uh, check your water and everything. And, and they still even... do it in Bengalo, by the way. Do they? Yeah. Well, yeah. I know the dude up there. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but, um, exactly right. And this is the thing I, I always go back to is, you know, whilst it's an online world or it's evolving to an online world, we didn't all of a sudden decide that we don't want customer service. We, we went to online and went, okay, it's easier because I can transact in my living room and I can look and, and see what I'm interested in. But you know what? I still want to talk to someone. And we took that concept. So, you know, our customer service, our, our travel consultants are in Byron. So people are on an iPad flicking through, looking at their next holiday. But, you know, you want to go on a holiday or you're about to spend $10,000 with me, I reckon you've got a few questions that you wouldn't mind answering before you... So you run a call centre? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, because, so, I mean, it is a phenomenon that exists today that we have these um, online, online, let's call it online businesses. But the phenomenon, part of the phenomenon is what sits behind it, these great big call centres. Yeah. It's because, you know, it's very difficult to do everything online. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, it's a bit of a, a myth in some respects that, you know, some of these, in financial services, totally, yeah, this exists. I mean, like I know some financial services, online mortgage broker businesses who have 300 people in a call center sitting behind the thing. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just too hard to, to progress your way through the online you, application or whatever it is you're doing. Well, you want someone to hold your hand and walk you totally. through. Especially and for a trip exactly. of a lifetime. Oh, I mean, you've got a lot of questions, a lot of variables around it. I mean, I still laugh about the time, um, you know, often people ask me, you know, with your site, what did you do that was different? How did it work? We did this really crazy thing that I, I tell people about. We, we actually made our phone number the biggest uh, size we could possibly on the homepage. We wanted people to ring us. I mean, there was a whole era of online businesses and online websites where people were hiding their phone number. It was crazy. It was like... Well, I could, can I just stop you there? Because we, we have a, like a half-time break. We're going to get an orange and uh, we come back. <laughs> and um, But one of the things I want to talk to you about is actually that... Um, What's interesting is your market demographics. In other words, you know your market. You've done your research, but a lot of the baby booms, so to speak, um, they still like a phone number. What I'd like to talk to you about is how you stay and make your business sustainable for the people who are in the 20 to 30-year-olds who actually probably don't want to ring anybody. They actually want to do everything online. They don't want to talk to anybody. They're not like the the other market. There's two different markets, and I want to know what you're doing, what your views on that are. Do you agree with me or disagree with me? Because you know your markets, markets, and what do you do about that? How do you um, build your, your business to cater for both those as one dot drops off? In other words, the baby boomers start to die and stop travelling, mm-hmm. and then the new market become the new baby boomers. So we just go to the break, talk with our sponsors, and then we'll come straight back. I guess what I want to talk to you about, Norm, is that, um, and get your advice on this for people listening, is that people think about online businesses and they think, oh, I can do it with 10 people and everything's more tech-related 
if you're in retail, which is what where you are, um, and I don't really have to have too much, too many people at the back answering telephones calls. Now, you, you said something really interesting before the break that one of the things that you did decide to do was advertise your phone number bigger than everything else so that once they got onto your website, they could actually see the phone number on the screen and they thought, oh, shit, great, somewhere to call. And one of the experiences I've had in um, um, online businesses, and admittedly it's in financial services, is that it's great to find your customer there and for your customer to find you digitally. But ultimately where what our experience is in financial services is that they want then to be able to talk to someone or meet somebody. Um, and that really hasn't changed since 1999 when the tech boom started in my industry. So yeah. that, that's a, that's, you know, nearly 20 years. Yeah. Well, no change. Um, because it's such a big decision and you don't want to fuck it up. Um, and you want it to actually to be nailed and actually happen properly. Is that the reason why you displayed your phone number so large or is it just to give people confidence that there is somebody there? Oh, look, I mean, I think the, the message that gets lost with online, certainly with online businesses, people didn't stop being humans and wanting to interact with another human and to do a transaction. I mean, that's been the, that's been the sort of, you know, it's how, how business has been done since the year dot is that, People interact. They have questions. They, if you have a relationship with the person that you're you're transacting with, more than likely you're gonna you're gonna drop your money with them. You're gonna spend. You're gonna have trust. Because you're, you're not selling a product. You're selling a service. You're selling a service, and you're selling and you're selling with. You talk about confidence in a transaction. You know, confidence comes from the conversation you're having with the person you're transacting with. I mean, you quickly make a decision, and I don't think it's any difference financial services or the travel industry. If I if I get on the phone to someone in, in a financial services business and I don't feel comfortable with it, the answers, the the you know the the type of how they're coming across, nine out of ten times I'm not going to make the transaction. So I think when you, as soon as you put a humanized touch on anything, which is the art of doing business, it changes it into a you know I always use the analogy: make a friend, you make a sale. Um, you know everything's sale based, but there's got to be a relationship take place before that transaction. It's interesting because. I agree with you. Um, I always say to my guys, the first first thing you got to get to happen with your customer. Learn we do mortgages, so it's a big transaction. But um, at Yellow Brick Road, we I say to the guys, make sure the customer likes you. So you turn up on time. You're polite. Um, you address them properly. You know what their issue is. You understand your marketplace. You know you understand what it is they need to know, and you deliver it. Um, but you do it in a likable way. You can't be a narc or you can't be arrogant. You can't be grumpy. You got to make sure it look like you actually want to do the deal and you're interested um, and you're pleasant, polite, all that sort of stuff. I um, mean, then they'll do the deal with you because if they've got to make a choice, I pick the person I like. Yeah, as every, opposed to person, every every day of the week. Every day of the week. Yeah. But what about the demographics who sit in that twenty to thirty years of age, or you know, and and the, that other emerging demographic of those under twenty who spend their lifetime on, um, you know, playing games or gamers, you know, and they yep. actually don't ever talk to anybody. Yep. Um, are their expectations different? In other words, don't talk to me, just do the deal. Oh, for sure. Look, and I mean, I think the first principle of doing, you know, running a successful online business is first and foremost, define who is your core business. Okay. Which for us, our core business, we believe initially was our baby boomers. We, we niched down, we said, let's own that baby boomer section. As, as we've evolved, as we've grown, as you know, and become the bigger business we are these days. We now have sections within our business who are given the task of, you know, being more specific in in targeting that that plus twenty five market. We find the the under twenty five market's probably the hardest market possible to know is, how is to that pin a light down. touch market. Very light touch. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole new thing now. As you know, there's a we touch them gently in the social media aspect. They don't want to be marketed to. Mm. Which is a you know from a marketing point of view, how do you market to someone who doesn't want to be marketed to? Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's a it's a unique stage that we're all going through here to get that younger demographic, and I think as time grows and as as there's a better understanding of how that you know, and these are kids now that are growing up with a, with the the digital world from you know from when they're six six. And yeah. I heard someone talking about I yeah. heard someone talking about six year olds who are addicted to Fortnite. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we saw there was a show on 60 Minutes about a kid who was 12, 13 yeah. and been in school for two years or something but and because he was addicted to Fortnite. But I, I've heard people on the radio actually here at Triple M t- talking to the grill team 
Or, no, it was actually the uh, uh, Mick, Mick Malloy and Jane Kennedy in the afternoon talking about kids who are addicted at six years of age to Fortnite. Now, they don't talk to their parents, no. their brothers and sisters. They lock themselves yeah. in rooms yeah. and they, they've got their headphones on, so they're probably talking to other gamers, yeah. um, but they don't know who the hell they are. No. Um, and and they are totally light touch. They basically don't, they don't even want to eat. No, they, they well, I've to... probably got no chance of dragging them out of their room away from their gaming and setting them on a holiday so well i was going to ask you about that i mean mean, because the concept of you know the you know the bucket list yeah everybody's got a dream where they want to go to um is are you finding that the bucket list people the people who are ready to um experience the bucket list is changing from 55 plus to some other younger age oh for sure look i mean Plus thirty is a whole new market because they indulge themselves. They indulge. Uh, uh, they every cent they make, they spend on themselves. Totally. I mean, and that's there's probably some. I mean, I'd love to know the social, um, the social experiment around all this and and what you guys are finding on it. And because I think a lot of them just say, well, you know, like anyone over fifty five, their their game was you leave school, go you go either get a, a a job or get a trade or get a degree, start work, get married, have kids, buy the house. Pay the house off. Yeah, you do that until you're fifty-five or sixty. Then you can start to enjoy yourself. Yeah, then your bucket list starts. Yeah, exactly. Now they the, everything's so expensive and everything's so competitive. Um, they Just say, spend what you get. Correct. <laughs> oh, there's no point in trying to do that anymore yeah. because the, no. the, so the total yeah. change in mindset. Well, wait, wait for your baby boomer parents to die and you'll get the house anyway. Yeah, so I'm also hanging out <laughs> for that. And during yeah. that period, I'm going to enjoy myself as much yeah, as I can. Exactly. So uh, there's a big market for you there. Oh, the question sure. is, how do you get to them? Oh, look, I mean, obviously strategies, there's key strategies around it. I mean, look, I I always go back to, I don't know whether you can be everything to everyone. And I think that is sometimes a, a big mistake of some businesses is they try and be everything to everyone and they end up being nothing to anyone. Yeah, that is, a, that's um, right. You've got you to find something and focus on it. So we all know that there's a whole market out there, but I think it's a, st- for, certainly from our business, it's a stage process. So we go, you know, I, if you if you're in my office, you'll get sick of the analogy I use every second day. Line up a hundred people, and how many want to go and do that? And we just how get, do you mean? Explain well, that. I always say, look, if someone if we're coming up with a new product, we're obviously building new products weekly, and uh, we go into a product team, uh, you know, a bit of a scrum to to work out what we're working on, and uh, people start throwing up some new concepts, opening up new areas. Um, one of the most recent ones we up, opened up Lao as a as a key destination of ours. Great country. And um, I'll, people will throw ideas, we kick it around, we're working on putting stuff together, and I'll say, if I line up 100 people, random selection of 100 people, how many people want to go and do that? Go to Lao. Go to Lao, mm. for example. People come forward and everyone will have an opinion, but generally as a, as a core group we'll end up with a pretty good idea of, yeah, this is going to fly. You know, line up 100, 30 will go. Oh, well, we've got, we've, got a, we've got a product that works. Okay, out of that 30, what do they look like? Well, certainly a group of under thirties that are interested in Louds, an adventure-based destination. You know, will the oldies go there? Yeah, definitely. Because picturesque, you've got you know, UNESCO protected areas, pretty unique country. So museums and mon- monuments. Yeah. <laughs> so we we <laughs> end up the fifty-five. Yeah, we end up in a situation where we go. You know what? We've got a product that'll fly because it can be marketed to all different levels because there's a lot of different things you can do there. Now we break down and go, okay, send it over to the marketing team. You guys need to get this out and you need to get it under the noses of these core groups that we're trying and to market. And how do to. they do it? Now- okay, so obviously the younger the younger demographic, we know it's a digital-based marketing. Yep. Okay, that's – we have a very unique market, which we still absolutely brain it in. And uh, it'll it, – you know, most people, when you talk to them, they can't even comprehend it. What's old is new. Newspapers. Now, for our baby boomer market, that it's almost like a, a religious ceremony. Instead of going to church, they go to the news agent on a Sunday and no, pick no. up that paper. No, no, they read the Sunday Telegraph. Yeah, and the Sunday Herald. No, no. So we Madness. we know that that market <clears throat> is easy. Not easy. That's that's the wrong that's the wrong word. It's expensive advertising. It, it's you know you're playing, yeah. yeah. And uh, that was a massive leap of faith. I mean, we when we started out on that pathway of newspaper, when we ran our first ad as a one-off advertiser. Um, yeah, it was, it was, and, and the thing about it, we had to run at least, we ran six times before we got traction because there was no trust involved. We just yeah. come out of the blue with a deal that was too good to be true. 
So that's a whole other story of, you know. Where do you get to the younger people? I mean, the younger, you say they're the, digital, but I know that. But the, the, like, well, look, where, so, where? So, soft social touches. Obviously, Instagram plays a, plays a, a role these days. So do you use um, influencers? <sighs> look, this whole thing of influencers, I mean, this has been an ongoing conversation. Uh, recently, we, you know, there's been a heavy sort of scrutiny put around the influencer. These young people are savvy too. They know these influencers with these few hundred thousand. They're getting paid. Yeah. It's not real. It's not <clears> coming. So I, I personally have a belief the person with 2,000 followers, the people who's actually got relationships with the people they're dealing with, if they go out and have, you know, if, if they go out and say, hey, I did a Tripodil trip and it was phenomenal, they're going to get a lot more traction than that person that's got the 700,000 followers that are, you know, it's a paid advert. So there's a softer touch. So there's this whole movement and, and, and going on and saying, let's... You can't con them either. You can't con them. They're too savvy. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's... Well, they've been growing up here, since they're six years old. Come over here, How old are you, D? How old are you, D? I'm 29. Can we go over here? Can we go? Get over near the camera. Okay. Sit, 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 sit. So I asked you the other day to look something up, right? Yeah. And because uh, I thought, well, this guy... I'm not going to say the name. This guy on Instagram is really popular. Yeah. I thought. He's yeah. got a lot of followers. She come back straight from his yeah, but no one's active. They're, oh, yeah. They're not interested. Yeah. Exactly. So, so like, uh, in, your age group. Yeah. So, they all know. Of course. And I don't look at this stuff. And, and uh, so, I'm the, more the baby boomer. But they're all savvy. They're smart. They, they, they know. They sort of know the analytics. Look up. Environmentally. You exactly. Yeah. 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 All your friends yeah. the same. Uh, I don't know if all my friends are the but, same. But, 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 you can't, but what you're saying, you can't be conned. Yeah. Spot yeah. on. Yeah. Spot on. And I mean, I've got my, my little daughters are calling out people left, right and centre on Instagram saying they've bought their followers because no one actually gets so involved. you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Can you yeah, work it out? If, to... if, if, if someone's bought their followers? Yeah, it's pretty easy to tell. If you look on their posts, you can see if people are actually liking it. So if they've got 30,000 followers but only 200 likes on a post, mm. then... It's probably an indication that they've it's a it's from. a great indication. So, so I mean, so the way I do is I get young people coming to the business and tell me what the deal's going on. Thank you, Dee. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly right. So, I mean, this this marketing to this younger demographic, as you talk about, it's an art form. So, like someone like Dee, like um, how do you know? How do you work out what her bucket list might be? By interacting and talking with her. I mean, mm. we're fortunate enough if you if you go up and walk into our office in Byron. We have a massive amount of under thirties walking around that office. And how hard is it to get people to work for you in Byron? Because I mean, I, I look, I, I've often dreamt or sort of, uh, you know, fanciful dreaming of running a business, my business out of Byron. I'd, I'd love to, but I, but I equally know that I wouldn't get. I don't think I'd get the right sort of banker style people to come there, um, because mostly they're a holder and they're all got a house down here and you know somewhere down here in Sydney. But uh, is it getting easier? Is it? I mean, you definitely get people under 30. You can you get people, you certainly can get people under 30. That's correct. I mean, getting good people under 30 is is a challenge. I mean, is we've it? we've been really lucky. I mean, we've gone through, a, as we've evolved, grown and the challenges with growth are as, you know, qualifications, skill sets to, to help, you know, that channel, that growth. Um, you know, we've had, a, we've had a period of time over the last two years where continuing to, to get better hires and um, to the point now where, and, you know, we've done it a bit different too. We, we've taken people who were travellers as opposed to people who were in the travel industry because we found people who were in the travel industry were too set in their ways. So we, we don't need a travel agent, do you? No. You need someone who understands your customer. We need someone who understands our customer. You hit it on the head. Mm. So someone who's motivated and has the ability to interact and understand my customer, they're the greatest asset to my business. Yeah. Because they're 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 feeling it, they're knowing it, and they're understanding it. Can I ask you um, what what is your? I mean, is your structure changed? In other words, is it you and Rich are still in the business, or what's we're the still there every day? At the, you, at you, the you, you're, the, you're the two owners. Yeah, yeah. And um, and do you offer, you know, any sort of equity or or synthetic equity to your staff? I mean, do you have to do things like incentivize incentivize your good people? Yeah, of course. I mean, we've yeah. got we've got all those bits and pieces in place. We run a, a lot of bonus structure in place. I mean, people work hard for us, mm. and um, and as a result, we're happy to reward those people. You know, and well, if you're making money, you're happy for them to make yeah, money. Yeah, and I mean that's and that's been the key to this success is, is sharing the spoils as you grow and you continue to grow. Um, but you know, we don't want to be those guys that sit at the top of the. The, the mound and, and, you know, collect it all up. So you know. gone by six by six, two guys, one guy in Bali, one guy here in, um, one guy there in Byron. 
And uh, and then you've gone now to how many square metres? Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's a few hundred, I think. Yeah, at least a few hundred square metres. And you've got a hundred and what? hundred and six there. I mean, I, I was told the other day that we had 1,052 contractors across the globe working for us on that day, uh, which was pretty pretty amazing. So That is amazing. Yeah. And it's eight years. You've only, you've only, it's only eight-year period. Yeah, And what's the next years. step for you? Where are you going to go from here? Oh, look, we're going to launch, we're launching in New Zealand in the next few weeks, which is exciting. We're excited by the prospect of sort of, you know, a mirror market in New Zealand. Do you, do you actually, sorry, Norman, to interrupt, but do you, do you, do you gather because you know there's a lot of baby boomers there or? That's one of the driving forces. Yeah, it's very yeah. much a mirror market to here. Yeah. We're going to move into the UK in the early part of next year. There'll be a few there. There's there's a few one, in China too. One or two in China. There's yeah. a few baby boomers Yeah, there in China. is a few baby boomers there's, in China. Well, no, they, they predominantly are yeah. an ageing population so and they're all looking to travel somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that the inbound uh, opportunities are huge for us as well. Bringing, you know, bringing the inbound into Australia is obviously something that we will look at down the track. So right now you're more of an outbound business. Outbound business at the moment because that's what we know. That's what services us, you know, what fills up our operations around the globe. Um, but, you know, we've had a fair bit of sort of, pressure on us to start and run some inbound stuff for, you know, we're big, we do a lot of business in India, we do a lot of business in China. In India, you mean send people to India? So we send people to India, but yeah. as a, you know, we've got our Indian uh, partners up there that want to send. Around the other way. Other way here, yeah. Because, so. I mean, I guess people, I mean, to Chinese and Indians and people in other countries, Australia's probably... Is on their bucket list, probably is a, one of their uh, exotic destinations. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I mean, look, it's very funny, you know, like they probably think, I want to go to Sydney, go to Sydney Harbour, see Sydney <laughs> Harbour. We're thinking we want to go to Nepal and yeah, see yeah. Nepal. Yeah, we want to go to the Taj Mahal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, look, I mean, the, the opportunities are, are, are endless for us, but it's, you know, making these considered decisions to what is the next step each time because, um, you know, as, as you sort of know, we've had in phenomenal growth. But phenomenal growth is not always a, an, an easy pathway. It's um, you know, managing that phenomenal growth. So, and how do you balance your lifestyle out? I mean, you live in Byron; that's part of it. But do you still manage to get out? Did you have a surf? Do you go? No, to surf? I, I have. A, I have. A, I have, don't surf anywhere near as much as I like. But I, my sort of passion is I still play my my Oz tag. I never miss my Oz tag religiously. Yeah, in Ballina on a Monday night. Who are you playing for? I play for uh, our, our team in in Ballina. The the. Uh, the Shawsy Sharks. Shawsy Sharks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we've been a group of guys that have played together there for 20-odd years and, and still play my, my soccer on the weekend for Eureka. So, And where's where, where, where do you guys play? What, what oval do you play? Out, out the in the hills is. at Eureka. Out, oh, okay. out, 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 up the back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so like, yeah, it's a bit weird up there. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's us. You in, might never come back. Up in banjo country. Yeah, but, yeah, totally. But, yeah, so, no, pretty very passionate with my sport. I mean, all my kids are, are sport crazy. So and all your kids have been brought up there. They all went to school there. Yeah, yeah. They're all, uh, they're all. You know, got kids in Bangalore Primary, and and my two eldest are out at Trinity in Lismore. And Excellent. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, we're pretty blessed to have the lifestyle we've got. Oh. And I mean, I do. I'm my passion is 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 my farm. I um I sort of breed Wagyu Angus cattle. So uh, is it cold enough where you are for Angus? Yeah. Oh, well, like they do all right. They do well. This time of year, yeah, they anyway. do well, and um. Yeah, so my, my downtime often is I'm if I'm cruising around my farm, people say you're still working on a weekend, but for me that's that's not working. That's that's really that's therapy, you know. So still a big passion. You get you get plenty of rain because it's been raining up there. Just a bit. just started the last couple of days, so um, yeah, we've we've sort of had you know I think we had sixty mils yesterday, so yeah. it's great. I mean I don't think it's been very far out, but it's um. It's helped us. It's not going very west. No, yeah. unfortunately. It's not getting out like past Lismore. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, but. To me, it's been intriguing. I, I love these sort of discussions. But eight years, that's, that's a sh for me anyway, that's a short period of time to be successful in a tech environment or using tech. But, I mean, obviously your product's not tech, but using tech to, to get the product out there. You've really hit your own niche market. Um, I think it's a fantastic outcome. And it, to me, it's like uh, it's the dream. You are the bucket list in in some respects in that you live in God's country, you work in God's country, mm. um, and you don't really have to come down and sort of navigate your way through the city too often unless you choose to, which yeah, is exactly. it's, it's the best outcome. I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me one question um, because basically what I'm trying to do is find out what everybody wants to know. Um, so that's <laughs> why I would offer you the opportunity. So is there anything you'd like to ask me? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, look, what am I? I always, you know, when I have these conversations with with people who've been successful themselves, I mean, we we all like to. I tend to reflect on uh, our our success stories, and and I always say to people, I I always, you know, part of my success now has been 
reflection on some of my failings over the years and, mm. and what I could have done better. And um, when I got to that point in my life is when I was able to move forward because I'd reflect on what I did wrong and I wouldn't repeat it. Is there a point in your business career where you you maybe went into something or tried something and went, you know, it didn't turn out how you expected? It's you, happened often. Yeah. But mind. something that is there a is there a trigger point there along your career where you went, you know, look, I did this and I that's what I used to do and continually did, and I need to change how I approach things. Yeah, well, I th I think probably in two thousand and fifteen and fifteen and sixteen, um, I definitely knew that um, I worked out that advertising on television was for a business like ours, um, the Olympic Road I'm talking about, um, wasn't efficient. Because TV audiences have changed, um, the the station I was advertising, its reach had been reduced because it'd been diluted by all the Fox TV stations and Netflix and everything else. Um, but the pricing was still the same. So the only people who really could afford to advertise in an efficient sense were the big, big, big organisations and smaller organisations like us couldn't afford to do it. So, <clears throat> but I... Because I had always had done that, I sort of persisted with the program and it bit me on the ass pretty hard. Um, I, I lost a lot of money in that particular year and um, and I haven't made that mistake since. Um, and I've had to rejig my my way of marketing the business. Much more digital, much more personal, much, you know, doing things like this, um, trying to advertise wherever I can for cheap and free. Yeah. And to send the message out for cheap and free yeah. and often. Yes. And uh, as opposed to trying to do the big um, flashy TV ads, it just doesn't work for someone like me. And what, what I've also found is that radio, you mentioned um, newspapers <clears throat> being efficient for you. Radio is probably the most efficient form of advertising for someone like me. Yeah. Um, because people got don't have that many choices. Um, they tend to listen to radio. TV advertising, people don't listen because they're just getting it from so many places and so often. Yeah. They tend not to listen or pay attention. In fact, if they could turn it off, they would. Mm, it's white noise. Whereas yeah. when you're in a car, you can't. You're, yeah. Even if you're watching the road, you still hear it. Yeah. And it, it's, I think radio was – so there's that was my mistake. And it was a huge mistake. It was It was like cost me 10 million bucks Yep. in in, in, in mon real money. Yeah. And uh, so that was in 15 and 16. Um, I didn't see it coming. Um, by the way, you know, I've had media buyers and media agencies and no one else knew that knew the answer either. So yeah, that was the big lesson in how to market my business um, and or how to market my business efficiently and stop using old school ways of doing it and trying to adopt new ways of doing it. And unless you're the, the biggest in the market, it doesn't work for you. Even the banks don't advertise yeah. on, on television much anymore. And and was that a period in time where you you maybe took your hands off the wheel a little bit more? You let you yeah I did. I, yeah. Well, I didn't take my hands off the wheel in that, except that I I had all these people working for me who yeah. were le allegedly experts yeah, in this environment, and they were pitching it up to me. But it was yeah. stuff they'd always done in big banking environments. So yeah. I employed these guys and girls from big banking environments yeah. um, who came in with all these great credentials, great experience, great history, etc. And what they did is they took what they did at the big banks and tried to uh, apply it mm. to my business. And they were very convincing. Their pitch to me as the, you know, as I say, the CEO was convincing. And what I sort of went against my instincts a little bit. Yep. And I went with what was their greatest skill base and what looked to be mm. their better knowledge. Yep. And I made a mistake. Good thing is they're not with me anymore. Yeah. And that, and I and I think looking at, listening to that, it's, it's sort of, you know, there's points of that I pick up too because you're a guy who's come from you know, very agile quick to react, adjust, as we have been in our market. You take these hires out of the big end of town, they've come from a very much a non-agile environment. Non-accountable either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it just keeps happening. The spend is never scrutinised as it is from guys like you and I. Well, I can spend I can spend $10 million and it really hurts. Yeah. They can come from one of the big banking environments, spend $10 million, and like when the bank's making $10 yeah, billion, yeah, it means nothing. Yeah. So, so if a drop it's a mistake, it's just a mistake. Yeah. yeah. You know, and... Uh, for me, that mistake is extraordinarily cost, extraordinarily costly. And what I didn't also know at the time too was, and the it's the type of customer you're advertising to. So, I mean, it's all very well for me to get lots of inquiries, but if they're people are never going to get a loan anyway, yeah, because the demographic change, yeah. there's no point doing it. Exactly. It's, uh, 
it's just a waste, yeah, um, waste of money. So we have to be much more targeted, focused, and uh, like laser focused now yeah, on yeah. everything we do. Yeah, and and you know, and to some extent, to be frank with you, we rely on our branches to advertise at a local level. Yep, local advertising is very powerful if you've got an office in a local area. Yeah, yeah, no, just exactly. talking to local people. Well, I mean, we all bang on about that word of mouth, but that word of mouth. Oh, powerful. I mean, we've just went through a situation where we've had nearly fifty thousand people come off a of, come off trips in the last three months. And everyone's saying, we just had our biggest month ever. And everyone's saying, How, how's this happening? Well, we had a 98% exceeded expectation return reviews. So I said, well, you take 50,000 people that have come back. Talking good things about 49 you. 49,500 of them are pretty happy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a good chance we're going to get a few bookings. And they might buy again or yeah. they'll tell someone. Well, they'll repeat and yeah. hopefully they will tell a few people. Yeah, because they're at a yeah. It's funny, I was talking to a guy yesterday. I had to go to Newcastle to work and I was talking to a guy yesterday who's retired. And he told, told me that he spends, you know, 30 weeks a year on traveling and like he just goes from one trip to another trip to another trip to another trip to another trip. That's mm. not, not, not necessarily spending a lot of money, but more just taking trips. That's his life. Yeah. And he works, you know, 20 odd weeks a year and the rest of the time he's traveling and they're, right, they're, they're your repeat customers. They are. I don't get those yeah. amount of transactions. <laughs> I get one transaction and they stay with me for 30 years yeah. as but they just keep paying interest. Yeah. But it's in an ever decreasing environment because every year they pay me off principal too. So if they start at five hundred thousand in thirty years, end at zero. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want customers to start at five hundred thousand, end at one and a half million. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not possible <laughs> in my business because people pay their loans off. Yeah. So um, I'm always chasing your customers, and um, and I, I guess I've got to make sure I get customers who are who, in my case, are efficient and that I don't have to spend too much time on them. Yeah. I can just approve the loan. Yeah. Um, it's, it's marketing to me, such a powerful and complex tool and it's largely assumed to be the pretty part of the business and assumed mm. to be the, the least intellectual part of the business and, oh, you're head of marketing. Oh, well, you know, you're not that smart. You're not mm. head of analytics or yeah. head of finance or head of, but actually marketing to me is the most intellectual part because it's, yeah. especially today, because the market's moving so fast yeah. and changing so rapidly and there's so many parts to it and so many yeah. people. I find it fascinating and uh, not just the marketing platforms, like, you know, all your Instagrams and that sort of stuff, but just who you market to, how you get to them, how are they going to give you the greatest return for the dollar you spend and how do you close them quickly? Yeah. It's very, very difficult. Mm. It's ex become extremely complex. Well, I mean, you, you know yourself, the best line of success to understand how to market is get close to the customer, mm. understand the customer, interact with the customer, interact with these people. I mean, I have, my, my sort of greatest asset I consider in life is I have a lot of friendships across a real broad demographic. And each one of those people has a very different take on how they consume their their marketing, how they consume product, and um, you know, I I take the time always to to tr understand you know people. And it's, how, it's changing quickly, changing every week, yeah. not month, every week. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Then that's that's the daunting yeah. part, but it's also the exciting part. Yeah, Norm Black, Tripper Deal, get on. I loved it. Fantastic. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. I'll see you in Byron. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Thank you.